Is your church a true sanctuary? A safe place? That sounds like such a rude question, doesn't it? But really, I'm only asking because I love the church. And it pains me to see that study after study shows church attendance declining. I want to see our churches regain that central role that they used to have in our communities, where people saw churches as safe and trustworthy havens for everyone in the community. Welcome to another episode of The Unlovely Truth. I'm your host, private investigator Lori Morrison. I'm so glad you've joined me for another episode where we will talk about physical, emotional, and spiritual safety takeaways that we can find in today's book. If you're listening, I believe you have a unique calling to become a different kind of PI. Not a typical private investigator like me, but a person of impact. This is season four, episode 44. We're gonna flip the script just a little bit today. Self-publishing expert and the founder of Beatitudes Publishing LLC, Andrea Lendy, is going to be asking me the questions today. I'm really excited to get this chance to talk to you about my new book that has just released called Reclaiming Sanctuary, Enhancing Physical, Emotional, and Spiritual Safety in Our Churches. Be honest, when you think about church safety, is the first thing that pops into your head just physical safety? I want us to take a holistic approach to all the different types of safety that we need to be looking out for. I want us to look through the eyes of a shepherd. And that's how I think that we're going to effectively address our flock's emotional and spiritual safety as well. I recognized that there was a need out there for a comprehensive training system. So I crafted this resource that would guide ministry leaders, concerned parents, pastors, and church boards in evaluating, communicating, and addressing the safety concerns in all three of those areas. Now, I know the challenge of implementing really effective safety protocols can feel a little overwhelming, and it can be hard to muster the support that you really need to make these kind of changes. I understand that there is an urgency for a solution to this challenge. Now, I know that my perspective is a little different than your typical safety expert because that's a predominantly male field out there in our churches but I think that I bring a fresh and valuable female perspective to the conversation. I've been a part of a church staff. I have worked in a domestic violence court. I've worked with a Christian nonprofit, and I'm currently serving not only as a private investigator, but I contribute to my church's security team. I want to help you initiate constructive conversations, make positive changes, and establish policies and procedures that will enhance your church's physical, emotional, and spiritual safety. This is such a passion of mine. So if you grab this book, if you get this training, what can you expect? Well, you'll get three key insights when you follow each module, and you'll be equipped to articulate the safety challenges that you're finding to your leadership. You'll also be able to develop a practical plan for achievable improvements that are tailored specifically for your church. And you'll have access to templates that you can use to create policies that will transform your church into a sanctuary for all. This training is crafted to be effective at any stage of your journey, because I know every church has different availability of time, of resources, of flexibility. You'll be able to customize solutions to the unique needs of your church. And I'll be there to guide you throughout the whole thing, supporting you in this important endeavor. And together, we will reclaim sanctuary, not just within our buildings, 
but in our communities. Like I said, we're going to flip the script today. So getting ready to have Andrea join us, and she will be asking me some questions about reclaiming sanctuary, enhancing physical, emotional, and spiritual safety in our churches. I am so excited you're here today, Andrea. Oh, thank you, Lori. It's a privilege and an honor to be here with you. Well, we're kind of flipping the script a little bit today. Usually I'm the one asking the questions, but uh, you had this great idea to um, to help me get the word out about my book. So you're going to actually ask me some questions. So how fun is that? Well, that's super fun for me. I love to interview people and especially you, Lori. You have so much knowledge that the world needs, so much experience, and God has touched your heart and given you the wisdom, knowledge, and understanding to share with others about things that people every ordinary person needs in their wheelhouse. We need we need more from you and you keep on giving. And I just love that about you. Oh, thank you. It's a little fun being kind of on the other side of the mic. So I'm going to let you take control from here on out. Okay. Well, Lori, it's a privilege to be able to interview you. I love to ask questions and especially the kind of mind and experience that you have being a private investigator, but a faith-filled spirit. And God is leading and guiding you with all of his wisdom to share with us things that we need to know. Your first book, How to Kick Fear to the Curb, I mean, I couldn't set it down. And I love the way that you put these sort of scary things together, but then reassure us with scripture and with wisdom so that we can handle ourselves better out in public and not be in so much danger. And then in God We Trust, everyone else gets a background check. Same thing, how you're able to weave such truths and wisdom and and pour into our hearts so we're not so fearful and yet we're mindful. You deliver it in such a way that makes us feel comfortable, protected, and cared for by God. And and so I I appreciate what you do. Well, thank you. And you are so welcome. Absolutely. And now you have written another book to help churches reclaiming sanctuary. I mean, how peaceful does that sound? And yet it's powerful. We do need to reclaim sanctuary. So you've written these other books on personal safety. I'm curious about what inspired you to tackle safety in churches. It's really not just one thing. It's, you know, I serve on the security team at my own church and they do a fantastic job. But when you look online to find safety trainings and everything, they're almost always written by men. And so I thought it would be good to have a female perspective speaking into to this area. And a lot of times they're written by ex-police, ex-military, and that's great. They have wonderful information, but they have typically the same kind of viewpoint that they're speaking from. And so as a PI, I'm speaking from a slightly different viewpoint. And so I thought, okay, getting that unique voice in there as well And just as a person of faith who loves her church community, it's important to me for all of us to understand that we're not immune. But the biggest thing that really spurred me on for this was we talk a lot about physical safety, which is so important. But we don't always talk about the fact that our churches, if they are going to be true sanctuaries, have to be places where people will feel emotionally safe 
and spiritually safe as well, because we've all read and heard about the decline in church attendance, the decline in the amount of trust people uh, who are polled will say they have in pastors and in the church. And so I thought we really need to pay attention to that and see what we can do to stem that tide. I love that. And I, I love that, as you mentioned, you're coming from a different perspective. And you the way that you deliver this information to churches is truly powerful. I know sometimes if, if we ask a church, well, is your church safe? That's a really big question. And my guess is a lot of churches can't really say yes in every area and maybe not in any. Like you mentioned, there's physical safety. And that's what we typically think of first. We want our congregations to be safe And I love how your book says you can make some immediate changes because, I mean, let's face it, it, this is a big topic. If we parallel, and this is just what came to my mind, losing weight, there's so many ways to do it. What do we tackle first? But I love it when there's a plan that says, hey, immediate changes, you can lose two to four pounds in the first week. And that's what you offer in this training in terms of there's some immediate changes that churches can make to be safer, like right away, some small things that they can do. And then you walk them through being able to really discern where do we need to make some larger changes. And you walk them through how to customize that for every church amazing plan and amazing delivery in terms of your book. Let me step back a second and say, but why do you think churches need your training now in this time, this day and age? Again, a lot of that goes back to we've lost trust. We Mm. are not seen as being a sanctuary. We are not seen as being the place where if I'm in trouble, this is where I go. And whether that's because we're afraid that we'll be shamed We're afraid that maybe what we say won't be held in confidence. Maybe we're afraid that we'll even be shunned. So I think just like you said, it's those those little things. We do have to be aware of maybe a shooter coming in and what would we do? But it's much, much, much more likely that we're going to encounter someone who has been broken who has either wandered away from the faith or is considering wandering away from the faith. And if you stop and look at our jobs, not just the pastor, but all of us as being shepherds of whatever flock God has put us in charge of, you know, if you're leading the children's ministry, those children and their families, that's your flock. If you're teaching a Sunday school class, that class is your flock. If we step back and we say, okay, what are the duties of a shepherd? Really, you can boil it down to three things. They're supposed to provide for the needs of the sheep. And I think that mostly we're pretty good at that. You know, we're giving them the curriculum. We're giving them instruction. But we also forget that a shepherd is supposed to be watching the perimeter for threats to the flock. And we can be a little naive, I think, in the church and not try to be as proactively aware of red flags as we should. And, you know, there are some actions, we call them red flags. They really ought to be called stop signs. If we see certain behaviors, it just needs to be, whoa, no, we got to do something about this. And then the third thing that shepherds are supposed to do is they're supposed to search for those members of the flock who have wandered away and bring them back. 
And if we're consciously or unconsciously doing things that make people feel shamed or ostracized or unwelcomed or whatever it is, then we're not fulfilling that third part of what a shepherd's supposed to do. We do pretty good most of the time on that first duty. But if we make some small adjustments to that second duty and the third duty, like you said, if you're losing weight, and I love that analogy, you've got to lose that first pound. You can't lose 100 pounds at a time. So let's work on those first few things that we can do easily. We can do low or no cost even. And let's let's get that ball rolling. And then you can start looking at the bigger things. I love that. And I think you are particularly suited. It's just a gift of yours to help people. And then when people have wins, whether it let's say in the church, then that's what your, your book is, is about is reclaiming that sanctuary within the church. When they have some wins, then it's okay. We can tackle some of the bigger things. And I think that's just fantastic. Again, you're just very, very gifted in this way. I want to go back to something that you said, and that's when we lose people, when they go astray, when they leave, I have heard so much from people who say, well, I left and, and no one even called me. Or I stopped going and no one even checked in, right? And that's probably the most simple thing to tackle is is if we're not seeing someone that we have seen regularly, has participated regularly, and they're no longer here, then that's probably one of the easiest things that churches can do is that outreach. Right. That costs nothing but except a little bit of time. And it does really make a huge, huge difference because the one thing... Well, I think there's a lot of things, but one thing that the church should be the best at, if you look at any institution in the entire world, what we should be best at is community. And we're not because we're not as intentional about it as we should be. Here's something so simple, so simple. A lot of people have small groups, Sunday school classes, you know, Bible studies, whatever you want to call them. You should always have one that's perpetually open. Because you've, you've always got that person that's a little on the shy side, they're quiet, they're whatever, they don't get noticed, they get overlooked, and they don't get invited to join a group, to make friends, to be part of something bigger than themselves. But if you've got one group that you're like, hey, every Wednesday in this room in the church, it's always open, whoever wants to come, just come. Then that person has an easy in, and mm-hmm. they don't feel like there are cliques that are excluding them. That's so good. And I, you're so right. For whatever reason, there's the outliers. And, and it could be even as simple as someone, a mom who's got little ones, and she can attend every once in a while when the time is right, but it can't be every single time. I think that's, that's an amazing example of a way church can foster community. And, and so thank you for saying that. That's I, something I had never considered. And I've been, you know, in church leadership before. That's a great idea. And another really easy thing you can do is with your volunteers. And I know usually we're dying for volunteers. <laughs> we don't have enough people. But I can remember a time when I was new to a church. I was new to the entire community. And volunteering was just part of something that I knew was a healthy thing for a Christian to do. But I was also looking for community because I was new there. And so something was going on. I volunteered and I was told, oh, thanks, but we have enough people for that. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That is such the wrong answer. 
because I've, I've directed volunteers before and I've made up jobs because you had somebody reaching out, somebody wanting to share how God had gifted them or, you know, back to the community, someone that was just looking for connections. And so have a floater in case somebody is sick at the last minute, have an apprentice, have whatever but never turn down, unless it's for safety reasons. We can talk about that later. But never turn down somebody that is reaching out. Find something. Great point. And like you said, most churches are in need of volunteers. Yes. And so a good problem to have is to have an over-volunteer. But I, And I love your, your solution to that is make another position mm-hmm. that they can fill. Utilize every gift and talent that a church has. So great, great comment there. I want to go back to people leaving the church. It's sometimes scary to call someone who hasn't come and be the one who has to hear the bad news, why they're not attending. Maybe finding someone, a volunteer who is good at that type of thing, whose gift is in that area where they're very diplomatic, right? The gift of diplomacy and being able to receive that information and filter it out and then share that with some leadership inside the church. But really reaching out to those people who are are missing. Not only do we want to recapture and, and bring them back into community, but also find out what made them leave that. Exactly. Right. So that you don't have a stove of people leaving. We have to be willing to look at our systems, our leaders. Oh, we hate to do that. We hate to ever think that any of our leaders could ever do anything wrong, Mm -hmm. but they're human. Right. And a lot of times they may not even realize that what they're doing is being taken wrong by a certain percent of the population. But you also have to realize that some of them may just be very unsuited for their position. And you need to know that. I know my husband and I left a church that we had we had been going there for years. And a really wise person told me this once. Sometimes God pulls up tent pegs one mm-hmm. at a time, loosens them up. And so that when it's time to go, you're ready to go. And so we had we had, had some, some pegs being pulled up, some loosening. And then one day at a service, the, the topic was sexual purity. Great, good topic to be talking about. No problem with that. But the emphasis was on women who were not staying sexually pure. And I thought, you know, there's somebody else in the equation here that you're not talking about. So that was, that was irking me a little bit. That was kind of bringing out the sass in me. Mm-hmm. And I I do believe I understood where he was going with this. Humans typically don't do things for no reason. We're trying to fill some sort of need somewhere. And so I think he was trying to get at the point that when we're reaching out for physical relationships that aren't appropriate, we're looking for love, we're looking for validation, we're looking for all kinds of different things. But what he said was, you know, you get something out of it, you know, like a prostitute gets money. And I sat back and I thought, okay. I think I know where you're going with that. But because you did not take care with your words, young women who have made unfortunate decisions or were pressured into unfortunate decisions or who were physically forced, and pardon my language, like I said, this brings out the sass in me. I thought you just called them all whores. Mm. That is what they're going to leave with. You've shamed them. You've devalued them. And I told my husband, I said, I will not embarrass you by just standing up and stomping out, which is what I wanted to do. I said, but I'm never setting foot in this church again. Mm. And we didn't. 
And we tried to set up a meeting with leadership to explain to them why, to give them a chance to grow. And they kept putting it off. And then they'd, oh, well, this came up. Well, you'll talk to this person instead of that person. And finally, I just said, you know, you do not care why we left. You do not want to hear anything that you might have to deal with within yourself. You've shown me where your heart is and I'm ready to move on. So check your leadership for humility, for being willing to hear these things, for being willing to check yourself, make some changes because we, we all hurt people. We don't mean to, but I hope I would be strong enough for somebody to say, Hey, I need to talk about this, Lori, something you said, something you did. I hope I would take a different approach. Yeah. And it's so important that when you just said humility, mm-hmm. uh, I was just reading this wording about Jesus when he said, there's a Pharisee who went to pray and a tax collector. And the Pharisee said, thank you, God, that I'm more righteous, right? So humility is so important and something that would be an interesting topic to bring up with an entire leadership team. I, th- mm-hmm. I could see that being in a seminar in and of itself. <laughs> I also wanted to mention that your book, in terms of leading and guiding churches to reclaiming sanctuary, another aspect of that, which I thought was interesting that you mentioned is, yes, we have to be prepared for intruders and we have to be prepared for injured church members, like a heart attack and and Mm -hmm. medical emergency. And I would imagine that a process to put into place wouldn't be too terribly difficult But it's just that forethought, that thinking, who's our key person here? So can you share a little bit about what you might be able to uncover for churches there? I'm so glad you brought that up and that you use the word process. Because when there is an emergency, that is not the time to be figuring out how to handle something. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. need to figure it out ahead of time. And so I'm a huge fan of writing out policies and procedures. If an accusation is made against a volunteer, a staff member, whoever, how do we handle that? And then make sure you handle it the same. Nobody gets a pass. Nobody gets, well, if this person had been accused, we'd go through all these steps, but it's this person. So ah, we can't, we can't talk about that. Mm-hmm. And it's the same for physical safety, financial safety. That's an area a lot of churches don't think about, but we get targeted because we're naive because we want to trust people. And it's very, very interesting. Anna Salter, PhD, she's written several books and she actually went into prisons and she was interviewing men mostly, I believe, that had been convicted of very violent sexual crimes. And she asked them, you know, among other things, do you have a preferred victim type? And they said, oh yeah, church people. And and she wanted to know why. And they said, well, they tend to be very naive. So it's, it's easier to get away with what I want to do there. And even if they catch me, all they want to do is forgive me. Oh, wow. And so then I get really sassy about this too, because I had a personal experience where I was told, well, God's forgiven that person. It seems like you are the one with the problem. Because I brought yeah. this up to my boss in a church about somebody that I knew had harmed children in the past. And I do believe in forgiveness not only God's forgiveness, but forgiveness from people to other people. But forgiveness for salvation is a whole lot different than forgiveness for restoration. So yes, there's, there's no sin, there's no wrongdoing that God can't forgive for a truly repentant heart. And let me tell you, these people know how to fake repentance like you wouldn't believe. 
I mean, you look at Paul when Saul became Paul, his entire life looked different. That's true repentance. I'm sorry. I will never do it again. That's just words. Mm. So you have to really evaluate. First of all, is this person truly living differently? And even if they are, just like you would not counsel an alcoholic to be a bar owner, you know, cheers fans notwithstanding. All right. But if someone has abused children, teens, any kind of vulnerable person, if someone's stolen from the church, you would not restore them to the same ministry where they've already fallen. True. Quite true. And, you know, we think about protecting vulnerable people like the Bible tells us over and over and over to do. If you had all of your money that you'd save for a retirement in in a bank and you found out that one of those people that worked there had stolen hundreds of thousands of dollars from the bank. So they go to prison, they serve their time, they come out and they want to work at that bank again in the same position. Mm. People would be livid. Well, I'm pulling my money out. I'm not doing business with that bank because that's just a horrible decision. But we do that in the church all the time. And so we just, we really have to stop and think about, yes, we need to forgive and we need to support that person if they are truly living a new life, but we have to protect our flock. Jesus is the good shepherd. He looked out for all of us and we can't elevate restoring someone above protecting people. I love that that you bring in Jesus as the good shepherd. And throughout your book, you have scripture mm-hmm. that about the responsibility of protecting the flock. And even in the Old Testament, God said, they aren't doing the job. Yep. <laughs> and I love that Woe you put to the that shepherds in. of Israel, I think is one of the captions. <laughs> right, exactly. And so to take on shepherding inside of the church in that protective way, I think is so important. And something that can get slid to the back or the end of the list, if you will, of things mm-hmm. to do, because as you mentioned in the beginning, I think churches know the importance of teaching, of giving the word, you know, of, of all these other things. But I think that protection has slid out and again, back of the line, end of the list of things that, that they're responsible for. So your book really brings to the forefront, oh yes, this is our role. And here's a way to go through training that you offer and just tend to the needs of protecting the flock. And yes. so thank you. For, I mean, God is using you in such a profound way to help churches bring this back up and do it in a simple step-by-step without shame, mm-hmm. without them feeling bad. Just let's, let's see if we can get some processes in place here. So with that, I know you've developed some online training as well that goes along with your book. Tell us about that and what people can expect. I wanted to make this accessible to any church, you know, at any price point, at any level of time commitment they had available. So there's the book. It's it's really more of a guide. So for the DIYers or someone that just wants to say, okay, what does this even look like? You can uh, get that on Amazon. You can write down the issues you're facing at your church because there's no one size fits all training that will just fix everything for everybody. Mine is more, let's walk you through thinking about what your issues are, 
who needs to come alongside you to improve that area and what steps are you going to take to do that? And then what steps are you going to take to maintain your progress? If you want something that goes a little deeper, there's going to be online video instruction and it's self-paced. So you can do it all really fast if you want. You can do it a little bit at a time. They'll talk about the same topics, but we'll go a little deeper. We'll give more examples. And so hopefully those will resonate with, oh, that sounds a lot like what we're going through. And then I can also do one-on-one coaching with churches, whether they want to bring me there in person or whether they want to do it over Zoom you know, I'm flexible with that because again, I know not everybody budgets for this. I know that some churches, you've got other priorities right at the moment, but I also talk about a lot of things that are just really low or no cost. You know, I'm not going to suggest that everybody needs to have this fancy high tech stuff. Mm-hmm. You can do something as simple as in your women's restrooms, put up posters that give women maybe who are being abused numbers that they can call, resources that they might not know exist to get them help from professionals. We don't have to do everything. We just need to know who we can refer people to when it's stuff that's outside our wheelhouse. And no offense, pastors, but there's a lot of stuff that you weren't trained for. If someone comes to you and has had severe trauma, Most pastors just aren't trained for that. So find someone in your community who is, and you can put all those numbers in the restroom because a lot of times if a woman's being abused, that may be the only place where she's not being watched by her abuser. Wow. And and see, it's those things that as a lay person, I don't even consider or think about. And to bring that to the forefront for church leaders, I think is so important Thank you. I mean, that God has given you this skill set is amazing. And and that, that you're able to offer solutions that, like you said, aren't going to be cost prohibitive mm-hmm. for churches, but that they can take and they can just feel better about that protection that they're required to look at and participate in, but just have no idea where to start. So there's some very simple ways that churches can serve their community in that shepherding role. I know I've read your book and you call it like a a workbook, a guide, and it is fantastic. But I really think that your personal expertise, knowledge, and wisdom is so needed by churches. So if they can even do one Zoom with you or set up five Zooms with you to tackle this, that, and the other, to think about, you know, where can we be better here? How can we be better here? And and then we'll take on this area, let's say in the spring or, you know, have a, have a plan. Right. And you're just so great at walking people through that planning and developing a process whether it's something that, you know, do these three easy things and then we'll we'll look at these three more difficult, they'll happen over time. And then to come back and reassess continually and make sure, hey, we're still up. But just the start off, the jumping off, you know, mm-hmm. that springboard of of starting to think in that different way, I think is so needed. And and so thank you for putting this all together for churches, Lori. At uh, the end of the day It's about more than just safety. It's about more than just the flock that's right in front of us. It's for the harvest field. It's very difficult to share the gospel effectively with people who don't feel like you're a safe person or don't feel like you represent a safe group because everybody's watching us. When you've got that reputation that you take people's 
physical, emotional, and spiritual safety to heart and that you're proactive about those things, that draws people in. And then that gives us the opportunity to share the hope that we have in Christ. So great. I mean, just really so great. I think that in so many ways, we don't feel safe anywhere anymore. But to be able to put a plan in place so that there is safety in people sense that. And and as you said, they they feel safe in your sanctuary. Mm-hmm. That to, to bring that back would, is, is just amazing. What would you like to say to pastors who may listen to this or their direct leaders that may listen and be intrigued about what they're hearing here today? Well, I want them to know that this is not meant to be a condemnation in any way, shape, or form. Let's just honestly assess where we are. Let's see if maybe we have some blind spots. We were doing or not doing things and didn't even realize the repercussions that that could have. And let's really put the needs of the flock first. The Old Testament talks about shepherding a lot, as does the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, it talks about, you know, woe to the shepherds. You're, and I'm paraphrasing here, you're not taking care of the flock. You're using the things you're supposed to be doing for them for your own benefit. Mm. And so we just have to be so brutally honest with ourselves and saying, is there anywhere where we're doing that? And then be courageous enough to say, we want to fix that. Sometimes we make things harder than they are. I want to say a big thank you to you, not only for stepping in and and being the guest uh, host today, but you have really helped me on this journey. I chose self-publishing to have a little more control And you really shepherded me through the process with your knowledge and you train other authors. Go on Facebook and you can find Andrea at Beatitudes Self-Publishing, Self-Publishing Strategies, Andrea Lendy. Just look for all those things and find her. You know, we all have a story. And so if anybody out there has ever thought about writing a book, don't know where to start, don't know what to do, look up Andrea because she's helped me on my journey so much. I wouldn't even be here with you offering this guide and this training if it weren't for Andrea. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I had a need to self-publish rather than pay other people to publish my work. And it forced me in this lane of self-publishing, which I'm very grateful for very thankful that Amazon is a platform for us, those of us who write and love to share God's message with other people. So now I have the honor to help other people through that process as well. But Lori, was your first book just this time last year? Yeah, roughly. So here we are with number three. That's right. Crazy. I would never have thought this a year ago. I know. Last thing I want to say about your writing and your skill set is you mentioned we tend to make things so complicated. And what you do is you unravel the complicated and make it simple. And it gives us that peace and that calm knowing, hey, I'm aware of this now and I have a plan now and I can execute that. And it was really a simple thing. And I think that is a gift. I I know basically two people that have that gift. You're one of them. And then that can make that really complicated and take it and unravel it, like I said, into the simple. So I encourage every church to consider grabbing Lori's new book, 
reclaiming sanctuary. And and even if you're not a church leader, take it to your church leader. Go through it yourself and take it to your church leader and offer them an opportunity to see something that they may not have been able to get their hands on because they just didn't know. And then go pick up Lori's other two books because you personally need to know that information as well. Simple and yet powerful and along with scripture to make us feel loved and protected by our Heavenly Father, which we are. So thank you, Lori, for your work and being so diligent in continuing and pushing through all the hardships. It's not easy to publish a book and you've done it three times now. Well, it's not, but you make it so much easier. So check out the show notes, everybody. I'll have links to all the stuff that we talked about today. Thank you again, Andrea, for helping me talk about this new offering. You are so welcome. It is a privilege and honor. Oh, thank you. And now I want us to talk about our Bible passage for this week. It's from 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 32 through 37. And I'm quoting from the Living Bible. Don't worry about a thing, David told him. I'll take care of this Philistine. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. How can a kid like you fight with a man like him? You're only a boy, and he has been in the army since he was a boy. But David persisted. When I am taking care of my father's sheep, he said, and a lion or a bear comes and grabs a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and take the lamb from its mouth. If it turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, And I'll do it to this heathen Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who saved me from the claws and teeth of the lion and the bear will save me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. I want us to all have the attitude that David had here, because a true sanctuary isn't just a building. It's the community that inhabits the building. David saw that there were all kinds of threats to the flocks that he tended. And I want us to understand that there are threats to our flocks today. David says that when a predator comes after a lamb from his flock, he goes after it. He sees what needs to be done and he does it. Part of making our churches true sanctuaries is to have that same attitude that David has here. He doesn't look at how intimidating Goliath is any more than he was worried about bears or lions. Each in its own way was a threat, and David was willing to be responsible to take care of threats. I hope that each one of us will take a look around our churches and see where there just might be physical, emotional, or spiritual threats to our flocks. And if you need a bit of help doing that, if you just don't know where to start, I hope you'll grab my book. There's a link in the show notes for where you can grab a copy. And stay tuned so that you'll be one of the first to find out when the video training that dives even deeper into these issues becomes available. Let me know what you think. Send me an email or message me on social media. I love it when people are willing to have those hard but impactful conversations. The Unlovely Truth is written and produced by me, Lori Morrison. Music is by Neil Cortex, and the artwork is by Shelby Highland. See you all next time.